Good evening, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining us. There are many things that you could be doing this evening, but you've chosen to tune in with us. This week, we don't have a specific theme, so I will just be presenting what I feel God has laid on my heart. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, I ask you to speak through me this evening to clearly convey your message. Lord, please bless each one. Draw us all closer to you and allow us to hear and be directed by your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So this year on April 1st, just a couple weeks after the start of the quarantine, I woke in the morning hearing the words, put it down in my head. It was emphatic enough that I wrote it down and puzzled over what it meant. So as I speak, remember the phrase, put it down. Initially, it seemed that it had something to do with having this treasure in an earthen vessel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And since repenting of my sins and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins and being filled with the Holy Ghost, it's been clear to me that on my own, without God, I'm totally helpless to navigate this life. My only hope is to trust in God's power, not my own. I need God. But still, I didn't know what God was trying to say to me. What did he mean, put it down? Well, I don't think any of us were prepared for the situation that has unfolded this year. And the pastoral team has been sincerely attempting to use this time apart to be led by the Spirit to draw us all closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a unique situation that none of us have faced before, and we're all feeling our way through this. And we've all been forced to set aside many aspects of our life to just put them down. And we studied the Minor Prophets in July, and I was amazed at how that series on the Minor Prophets, a topic that I had never really even given much thought, could come so alive. So I then wondered in my own personal study time where to go next. My conclusion was to begin with the next book after the Minor Prophets, Matthew, and continue to preview using BibleProject.com. I had really found it to be helpful in understanding Hosea through Malachi and decided to, to, to continue to look at it before reading. So Matthew begins with a genealogy of Jesus, showing he's a king from the line of David. Then in chapter 3, John the Baptist comes on the scene, and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus. And Jesus fulfills the promise the minor prophets gave, that a king is coming to set things right. Then I get to chapter 4, 
and Jesus goes into the wilderness, fasts 40 days and nights, and then is tempted by the devil. And as I read along, I was stopped in my tracks when I read verses 17 to 22. What I read there brought me back to the words, put it down, that I had heard so clearly back in April. So then I get to chapter four. It's Matthew 4, 17 to 22. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is just starting his ministry. He begins preaching and then he chooses his first disciples. Look closely at how they responded to his call. So I'm continuing in verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Notice how Peter and Andrew were willing to immediately put down their nets and follow Jesus. There was nothing wrong with fishing, but Jesus prompted them to go fish for people. And then it continues in verses 21 and 22. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And just to send aside, I can't help but wonder how their father reacted to them leaving him behind. But that's another message for another time. So Jesus also called James and John to put down their nets that they were mending with their father and follow him. They were to put it down. Immediately upon reading this, my mind went back to the morning of April 1st and the message I heard to put it down. It's totally against human nature to be willing to stop our own plans and give control to another. But this is exactly what Jesus asked of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they obeyed immediately. Another example of someone being asked to put it down is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to, through 22, about the cost of following Jesus. So Matthew 8, verses 19 through 22. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Now that sounds shocking. So I, I looked in the Net Bible and the commentary offers some possibilities. 
recent research, and it says, recent research suggests that burial customs in the vicinity of Jerusalem from 20 BC to AD 70 involved a reinterment of the bones a year after the initial burial. At that point, the son would have placed his father's bones in a special box known as an ossuary to be set into the wall of the tomb. Thus, Jesus could well be rebuking the man for wanting to wait as, around as much as a year before making a commitment to follow. So that's a long time. And another possibility is that the remark is an idiom, uh, possibly a proverbial saying that means the matter in question is not the real issue. Now, isn't that so often the case in any type of conflict between individuals? The matter in question is not the real issue. Remember that Jesus could see this man's heart. So this scripture about the dead burying the dead points out that the most important priority is to follow Jesus. Let's consider the rich man in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Remember that Jesus could see this man's heart too. And this is also a case where the matter in question is not the real issue. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. Following him must be our first priority. And for this, for this man, his possessions came before Jesus. Let's consider Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in, uh, in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus is telling Peter that yes, you have given up many things, but there's a reward now in this life and also eternal life in the world to come. 
Luke put it this way in chapter 14, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate, which means love less. So hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So be certain that Jesus sees our hearts and knows our priorities. He's a jealous God and must be first in our lives. Exodus 20 verse three says, and you must not have any other God but me. What about Moses? What was he willing to put down? Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So how do all these examples from the scriptures apply to our lives today? What principles are we to follow? We each have choices concerning finding God's will for us. And one part of that is to be willing to put down anything when Jesus directs us. For Peter and Andrew to be fishing was not wrong, but Jesus called them to put it down and follow him. Likewise, James and John were mending nets with their father when Jesus called them. They immediately followed and left their father behind. They heard Jesus's voice and obeyed without delay. All these examples show us the level of surrender that Jesus requires to be his disciple. He's not concerned about our ability as much as he is about our availability. I clearly remember a discussion with my husband after I had stopped teaching school. I had run a quilting business for about 15 years at that point. And since I had more time then, I was about to become more involved in it. And his comment was, that's fine but make sure that you can put it down whenever God calls you to do something for the kingdom's sake. Often these opportunities arise suddenly and are very time sensitive. And this is not a one-time decision. This is an ongoing evaluation of our life and where our treasure lies. I think about what James says in Chapter four, verse 14. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. So therefore it's critical for each of us to set priorities in our willingness to put other things aside when Jesus calls us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for wanting only what is best for us. Guide our paths, Lord, show us your ways. Let us hear your voice clearly and help each of us remember that there is nothing in this life more important than following you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everyone.